What color is it? I like to do a lot of sort of neon 80s, kind of magenta and cyan kind of colors. Is that just for podcasting? It's in the Hue app. There's like a theme that's called Soho. I use that a lot when I'm doing work. So when I'm doing writing stuff, I also put on the Soho colors, which matches my obsidian theme, which is neon 80s. So it's a very consistent lighting look. I'm going to take a look at the Hue app. Do you have the Hue app for your office? Do you have Hue light stuff? I have a couple of lamps of Hue bulbs in them. However, for some reason that I can't fully understand and it's happening again, the Hue app doesn't really work for the studio, but I have the lamps running. I think the problem with these lighting setups is there's a S-curve. You need some number of light bulbs to make it look good, right? So it's like yeah. having four light bulbs is eight times better than having two light bulbs. You need a bunch, but then it tails off very fast. Of Like now there's too many. So if you just have a couple, I don't think you get the real effect of mm. these themes. I discovered the delights of LED strips as part of redoing this office. And then I was like, oh, right. <laughs> yeah, we have one of those, a couple of those at home, actually. I, I used to have one on my old desk in Mega Office. Oh, yeah? And we got one for Adina because she really liked it too. But I don't have any of that kind of stuff in the studio. I mean, it's still a thought of mine to actually take advantage of floor lighting in the studio to not have these big overhead lights that i have yeah and hue now do make more bright bulbs Hmm. like that's a a thing that they do that they didn't do when i first started buying these they actually just have like much brighter bulbs which i think i would need and would take advantage of getting a few lamps but this is now going to be a project which goes along with the home because we like floor lighting at home too rather than overhead Mm. and so i think once we try and work out how the lamp situation for home it might give me some ideas for the studio too but i'm in kind of a phase right now where i want to redo some stuff in the studio but i just haven't really got the capacity for it right now but i think it might be something i take a look at towards the end of the year starting next year I can't remember where I first came across it, but I, like whenever I discovered the existence of LED strips, I was like, oh, that's intriguing. I was watching some tutorial where someone was putting them together and they just they made the offhanded comment about how all lighting is so much better if you're never looking directly at the source of the lighting. Yeah. And I was like, ah, right. And so like I've tried to do that with all of the lights in my office is like none of them am I ever looking directly at. They should all be bouncing off of something or like you use the LEDs to hide them under the desk. You should never look at the LED strip. You should just look at it bouncing off of other stuff. But never look directly into the LED strip. Never look directly into the LED strip. Also, I think it's funny that you were saying that you want brighter bulbs because I want nothing more than dimmer bulbs. Like their 1% is not dim enough for me. I'm like, I need this bulb dimmer. I agree with you in some circumstances, right? That like, I do want dim, but I just mean the amount of light that would be dim in the studio (laughs) to light the studio is a lot of light needed, you know? Mm. Something I did get with Hugh recently in the bedroom, they have Edison style bulbs now which I really like. What does that mean? I don't know what that means. So, like, if you look at the bulb, if you just Google Edison bulb, it's like a bulb star where you would see the filament in, like, a coil. Oh, uh, I think of these as hipster light bulbs. Yeah, okay. Yes, they're hipster light bulbs, yeah. And so Hugh made a range of hipster light bulbs, and, of course, we got them for the bedroom. And they are just inherently less bright. Huh. So they're really good for the bedroom. Like, we have a lamp on each side of our bed, and, like, it, they, like, shine down towards us but you can put it really low. It's, it feels to me lower than any other hue bulb that I've used. Hmm. Do they do colors or is it just white? It's just warmth. 
I think. Mm, no, see, I, like I want all my neon lighting, but I want it at like 0.25% brightness. Right? That's, that's how I work. I've got 20 light bulbs, but I all want them at like tiny amounts of yep. light. <laughs> yeah, makes sense. So how's September going, Mike? You know, I had this thought because I, I wanted to like touch base with you about this anyway today mm. because it's hilarious to me that it was two episodes ago, two episodes ago where I was talking about how busy I was, mm-hmm. where like I've gotten to the point in my life, I think, where the word September has a different meaning. <laughs> uh-huh. It has a different emotional valence, perhaps. Yeah, I think that's what's going on. I don't really feel this way about other months. Maybe December, right? Because December's Christmas, you know? So it's like, oh, it's mm. a good, nice family time or whatever. But I feel like the word September has like a really different meaning to me now. And I think it's, you know, I say it a lot during the month more than I would a regular month, right? Like September <laughs> is Childhood Cancer Awareness. You know, like it becomes part of like a thing that I say. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, it's just coupled in the iPhone event and travel and like, yeah, this one, it's been really tough and it continues to be very busy. But I found some moments this month where it's been rewarding feeling you like once we actually start getting into the fundraising stuff, it's it gets a different feel. And as we're recording Mm -hmm. this, I'm a couple of days away from traveling to Memphis and that also really changes the feel of the month for me. Yeah. Um, but it is also what makes the rest of it so complicated because I am also going to be away for like a third of the month. So like, it, you know, that mm. adds in complication to the rest of it. So it's been pretty busy and I don't think anything could highlight the busyness of the month than the fact that I got invited to the iPhone event and I said no. Yeah, that's an indicator of how busy your calendar is. Mm-hmm. Why did you say no to going to the iPhone event, Mike? It was just too complicated and I got too much stuff on this month and mm-hmm. I I could not see a way to make it work mm-hmm. that wouldn't cause some kind of problem that I wouldn't have otherwise had. Mm-hmm. So like for a selection of reasons which are complicated, I cannot change my travel from London to Memphis mm-hmm. and so it was always going to have to be I would need to be back here to leave again. That's crazy. No. It felt like way too much. And so I, I said no. But like the the thing about it that's just so interesting to me is it's like, well, that's like the hot ticket, right? Mm-hmm. I just listened to a podcast where someone described the iPhone event as like the Super Bowl of technology. And it's like, yep, that's pretty fair. Because yeah. everyone's paying attention whether you usually care or not. Like I'm listening to like podcasts this week that aren't tech podcasts and they're referencing the fact that there's a new iPhone. You know, like it's just like... It permeates popular culture. Yeah, I have a friend who calls it Apple Christmas. See, for me, actually, I would say it's WWDC, but that's just because I'm in it more, right? For me, like, finding the software is the most exciting, but I can understand how people would assume that this is it because it's when mm-hmm. the toys are announced. Right, so you got invited to the North Pole and you're like, I can't make it. I was like, no, Santa. <laughs> I cannot come this year. So it was just a, such a strange thing to do, right, for me, mm-hmm. of like, here's a thing that you... I'd always like, oh, imagine, or like maybe not even thought, like, because it's such a hot ticket, even more so than WWDC, right? Because mm-hmm. it's like in the Steve Jobs Theater, which puts a hard cap on how many people they can invite, right? WWDC, they oh, do it right, outside yeah. so they can just keep increasing the number if they want to, to add more rows of chairs. Right. It's, it's a very <laughs> different thing. However many humans you can fit in that enormous circle is yeah. the limit. <laughs> exactly. So they can just keep increasing it. 
And I feel like the 2021 or 2022, sorry, I should say 2022 WWC, the first one where they had people come to the campus, it did feel like that. Like it just kept getting bigger and bigger, more and more people were getting invited, like from developers and media and stuff, like as it was as the month was going on. Mm-hmm. But this one is like there's a hard cap on it, and I was super happy and honored to receive the invite immediately, right? Like as soon yeah, as it course. came out, it landed in my inbox and I sat on it for a couple of days and I thought about it and I had a bunch of conversations with people in my life. I looked at it, I looked at it from a bunch of different angles and just ultimately realized that I'm going to do a bad job of something Mm -hmm. that is important if I go to this, including I may have done a bad job with my iPhone episodes, right? Like the episodes of Upgrade and Connected and this show that was scheduled to be done this week with the travel and how condensed it was going to be and probably how wired in a bad way I was going to be, it would have made everything worse and it would have made St. Jude stuff worse. It would have made family stuff worse. Like everything would have been brought down by in this one instance. Different years might be different. We might plan for it differently next time, right? Like if we think this might happen again. But I don't know. I just felt like it was a, a thing to mark to have gotten it and also a thing to mark in my personal growth <laughs> that I could turn it down and feel confident and content with that decision. It is strange to say, I think you did make the right decision. Like you said, it's amazing to be invited. Like that's mm-hmm. great. But it, and it, it is surreal to be at a position like that to try to think through like, is this a thing that I can add, right? Because again, like you said, you don't, plan your Septembers around the idea that you're going to get an invitation to something like that. It's never happened before. Yeah, exactly. So I was like, oh, it's like we were saying that, you know, those two episodes ago, how for your career, September has become this really big month that started with the iPhone and then these other events like St. Jude, like other things that you're doing, like it's all sort of taken over the month of September as like these are the big projects now. And I think... This year has now really solidified that with this event of like, oh, the thing that started all of this, I cannot actually make time to go for because yep. of my prior commitments. Yeah. It's a real interesting career moment. Yeah. I can only imagine, like, how do you think you would explain that to younger Mike? I don't like, think I can. <laughs> no, I, th- I thought about this. Like, I was talking with another friend of mine who was in a very similar situation and also couldn't make it. And I said to him, like, could you even imagine us from three years ago? You know, you think about, like, when you say younger, like, 20-year-old me. Yeah. Like, two or three years ago, saying, like, oh, you'll get an invite to the iPhone event, but you decide not to go because you have different priorities that time. It's like... It's a wild thing to imagine in my mm. line of work. Yeah. I don't think I could explain it to myself of like, oh, the, you'll have different priorities of like, but there is no other priority. It's the iPhone, you know? Yeah. I like that you already shortened this timeline to three years ago, you, because yes, I, I was imagining like young Mike, right? Let's say 10 plus years ago would explain to him the situation. Would you like, no, three years ago, yeah. Mike would have a very hard time with understanding the situation. Yeah. We don't even need to go back that far. Yeah. It's just a strange thing to have done. I really like took a moment when I was, when I like you click it and you RSVP no 
mm-hmm. and click submit. Like I took like one of those mental image kind of things. Mm-hmm. I like remember this feeling because it's so weird to mm-hmm. do. And look, and it, all of this was helped by the fact that my WWDC experience was an actual like may as well have been a dream. Mm-hmm. Just how perfect it was, like going to the event and being with my friends and then getting to try the Vision Pro. It was unbeatable. Like, And I knew that as well, which really helped. Like, it was like, this event was not going to grant me, like, I'm not going to get, like, special access or something, like, because this doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Right? As we were talking about on the episode, the Vision Pro episode, this kind of idea has maybe happened, like, three or four times in modern Apple history. Yeah, yeah. Of people being able to use a device, like, with significant time before it comes out. And so it's just never a thing that I even would have imagined for myself to be able to have done. Mm-hmm. And so now I feel like I kind of had the perfect experience. So this coming along three months later, it didn't sting so much that I couldn't make it because I already right. had something this year, which is just like far away and exceeded my expectations that I didn't need to prove something to the younger version of me by doing this yeah i think there's always this danger in obligations to your former self but this is a slight different version right which is it's easy to end up still like carrying the goals of a younger self mm. even when that's like it doesn't really make sense like i think it's mentally useful a lot of times and i've discussed this on like previous theme episodes right as, as you sort of like imagine if you're in this situation today, like clean slate without all of the history that got you here, what kind of decisions would you make? I often find that as like a like a clarifying way to try and rethink the past goals of your younger self. And I think it's just very common that in people's careers, when they're pursuing a goal, especially if it's a goal over a long period of time, both like your career and the world around you change in ways that can make that goal like not as sensible or not as important as it previously was. But it's really easy to not notice that in the moment to be like, aha, like this is the thing that I've been chasing for a long time. And it's like, right. But it was like a different you who started this. Like, and does this make sense right now? And, and it doesn't always. And like, Yeah, I think that's really difficult to do for everyone. Like, I know I sometimes catch myself doing that sort of thing. It's very easy to just unintentionally carry forward past versions of yourself that aren't actually relevant to your current goals and current decisions. I hope I can do it one day. Like, I would like to sit in that theater. It would be a cool thing to achieve. Yeah. And it would. it's still a bucket list item to tick off. And I hope that one year everything lines up and I'm able to time it out differently. Like, for example, if the iPhone event was next week, it would have been doable. I'd be in America already, mm-hmm. right? And so, like, a lot of the complication, I think we could have worked around differently, but it just couldn't work out this time. I hope I get to do it, but I feel really pleased with myself that I'm in a position where I was able to do it and I was able to get through it all with like minimal jealousy of my friends who were there. <laughs> like, cause yes. that was the thing yeah. I was worried about. Like, Oh, am I going to be super jealous? And like, I wasn't, mm-hmm. I was just happy for people that were there. I kind of wished I was with them because I wanted to see them, but 
I didn't regret it, basically. There was no regret. All my friends are at the prom, but I'm not at the prom right yeah. now. Like, that's that's not how you want to be feeling on the day. Yeah. And there was no regret. <laughs> well, I'm very happy for you. But yeah, it could not have fit into what I'm going to dub stacked September. Yeah. <laughs> All the things that Mike has to do. Yeah. <laughs> this is absolutely terrible of me to say, but... As the person who has a lot to do, but not remotely as much as you, this morning I had one of those mornings where I woke up and I'm kind of like, (gasps) right? You have that like tension of (laughs) like, oh God, right? Like immediately you wake up with like the list of things that you have to do. And it was like, it was a five in the morning, right? And I'm like, oh God, right? I've got all these things. It's like, wait, wait, just like think about Mike. Remember what Mike has to do. And it's like, oh, ah, okay. We all <laughs> it have our seem own, so like, bad. You know, I don't, you, you can still be busy and feel busy. Like, just because I'm busy doesn't mean... <laughs> I mean, like, if it helps you not feel bad, right? But, like, that's awesome. It's an exercise in comparison. Yeah, but I wouldn't set it as, like, a, I shouldn't feel this way because... Oh, I don't mean it that way at all. No, Good. no. Like, yeah, Good. just to be very clear, I think that's a really dumb mental framing that lots of people do. Yeah. Is the, like oh, someone has it worse than me, so I shouldn't feel bad. I think that's just really dumb. I mean it much more in the way of, it's like we got that great Ask Cortex question a while ago about like doing each other's jobs, right? Just (laughs) any time I think about trying to do your job, it's so horrifying to me, right? It's more like that. You want my job in like April if you want it. Like that's like a good time. Is that the chill mic time? It feels like it. I don't have any (laughs) bad feelings about the word April, so it's probably pretty good. Just a negative valence for Stack September. Stack September. Oh, hi, Mike. What are you doing here? You're in my ad. I'm here because the subtlety is back. Stack September is also subtle September. Oh, I love it. Fantastic. (laughs) The only problem is it's running until October, but don't even think about that. It starts in September. Yeah, it starts in September. They will still be on sale in October, but you you want to get them in Stack September. (laughs) Maybe that's the thing about Stack September actually lasts for six weeks. That's what makes it so stacked. It just doesn't end. Back for a limited time only. Cortexbrand.com. You will find all five colors of our tees and sweaters, navy, black, gray, red, and green. But this year, we're adding a whole new product, the Subtle Hoodie, a lightweight hoodie in the same colors and material as the Subtle Sweater. I'm very excited about this. I've had a model of this for a couple of weeks, and I've been wearing it, and I I love it. So we have had our original hoodie for years, but it's a very thick hoodie, and I like in the kind of spring and autumn time to have like a thin hoodie where in the studio, maybe I'm going down to the shops or something and not have to, you know, have a coat. It's like a nice layering item. And so we've been able to bring the subtle embroidery to a nice lightweight hoodie this year. So cortexbrand.com is where you go find them. We have them in all the colors. Something I'm actually pretty pleased about this year, we have more color consistency than we've ever had before between the items. So Mm -hmm. we've made some tweaks to some of the colors. One of them is a new blue. We have new blue in the sweater and the hoodie. They are much closer than they've ever been before. The sweater as well, in general, I think is a higher quality item. It's softer on the inside than some of the sweaters we've had in the past. This is all the result of finally being able to make more decisions on stock management (laughs) because of the pandemic. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Like... There were just things we could not have access to. I've been trying to make the subtle hoodie for like two years at this Mm -hmm. point, but we could never 
get all of the colors that I wanted. Like even this time we had to make some choices and we found the right one and I'm super happy with it. So it's still not as easy as it could have been, but this is the easiest it's ever been. So we can finally offer this full range in all of the colors with the new edition. And it's just about what we were able to get access to color-wise. And I think now the entire product line looks how I want it to. And I'm super excited about it. So as we mentioned, it's a limited time sale. It's available for just three weeks. So you have until October the 10th to get your order in. So if you're listening to this right now and you're like, oh man, I've wanted to get one of those, or that sounds really good. Let me go check it out. You have until October the 10th. After October the 10th, it's not on sale anymore. So if you want it, you got to go now and get it. I'm just going to say this. I think I say something like this every year. This has got to be our most... I regret I didn't purchase it item because we always get messages after it's done where people are like, oh, like I wanted to get it's like, no, no, limited time until October 10th. You want to go? You want to get the shirts? This is the time of year, right? It starts at Stack September. If you're hearing this early October, you better get a move on right Mm -hmm. before it actually closes, especially our subtleties. This is basically 99% of my wardrobe now Same. are the subtle t-shirts. Yep. I'm wearing like, one right now. <laughs> I'm wearing one right now. I love the material. It feels really nice. It's like the perfect weight for an everyday t-shirt. Little thing I love is that there's no tag on the back. It's mm-hmm. just like a nice detail to put it on. I am extremely picky about t-shirts and I always feel like, God, it's such a hard time finding one that's good. This is the best one. Like, it just is. It's why I'm wearing it all the time. So I put in a huge order to make sure that I have enough for the whole year every time because it's like, I want all of these. Here's how much I know that people really like this shirt. So we've done this for a number of years now and digging through the data as the head of logistics. (laughs) basically, (laughs) Basically, every year we do this sales almost perfectly double for many years in a row now. And what that says is that the people who bought it last year, like all of them buy it again when this year comes around Mm -hmm. and we add some more people. So I I feel like that speaks for itself that people buy these shirts, love them, and then want more of them. I just like cannot praise them highly enough. That's why I'm wearing them all the time. And it's just worth remembering, if you're new around here, why do we call it the subtle tea? Like, where did that come from? Like, obviously, the name was a joke that when it was just the subtle tea, because it's like subtle tea, but then we added the sweater and the hoodie, and then the joke didn't make any sense anymore. I forgot that. Like, it's funny. It's so long yeah. ago. I forgot that's the origin of where yeah. it was. In my head, it's just like, oh, it's it's the subtle shirt, right? The subtle tea. But the reason that this product existed is I was looking for something with our logo that I felt like I could wear in any environment Mm -hmm. that like something that didn't feel like a typical merch t-shirt and like we have that you can go to our store at any time and buy like the big screen printed Cortex logo on a t-shirt and I own them and I love that but I don't want to wear that all the time and I don't want Mm -hmm. to wear that in every instance and I feel like I can go and I can have meetings with people I can go to like smart casual events and and I can be wearing the subtle tee or I can wear the subtle sweater and I fit in and it's comfortable and it just looks like a nice piece of clothing that it is, but it's more subtle. It's more like understated, but you're still able to wear something with a brand that you appreciate, which I hope is our one. 
So that's why it exists. I'm super happy that we've added the hoodie now. I will be buying a bunch of the hoodies and a bunch of the sweaters and a bunch of the t-shirts like I do every single year, <laughs> like so many Cortexans do. Go to cortexbrand.com and you can find the subtle tee, the subtle sweater, and the subtle hoodie today. By the way, to find the subtle hoodie, click on the sweatshirts. That's where it is on the store. Or you can just click any of the links in the show notes and it will go directly to the product of your choice. Cortexbrand.com. Only until October 10th. Cannot stress this enough. October 10th is the last day. Go now. (laughs) Cortexbrand.com. I have a little piece of uh, feedback that I just wanted to mention that was sent in by a Cortexan that I quite liked. And it's this article about... Douglas Adams, author of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which I quite enjoyed as a kid. You know, he wrote like the first book and it was very popular. And then like the pressure is really on. He's got to work on the sequels. How did he work on the sequels? Well, short answer is he didn't. He was having an extremely difficult time working on the sequels. And it turns out that he was basically forced to do a graycation. His publisher's rented a big suite in a hotel and locked him in it to finish a book that was way overdue. I just found this kind of like a little charming article, but also kind of crushing because it's like, clearly he had a bunch of difficulty working on these kinds of projects. And so much so, the detail here that I quite like is they did not trust him to just be in the hotel room and actually write. So his editor was just sitting on a chair facing away from him to make sure that he was writing oh my god right this Ah. is in the time of typewriters and so the article is just describing here how the editor was saying like oh he you know he'd bring like his crossword puzzles and books and like admin work to do or whatever and he would just be listening for the sound of typing and if he didn't hear typing for a significant amount of time he would like turn around and see how douglas adams was doing and apparently douglas adams was just like very sad most of the time but this is how they got the book finally finished from him which i just think is like a very funny example of this kind of thing of like put someone in a place where there are just no distractions and only give them one thing to do, which is this typewriter, because we need to get this book finished, man. <laughs> so this is the follow-ups to the Hitchhiker's Guide? Yeah, this one is particularly talking about, like, So Long and Thanks for All the Fish, which okay. I think is the last one in the series. I'm not 100% sure about that. But what also charmed me about this is, I'm not going to say who it is, but I have a writer friend who is the worst person I've ever met at deadlines. My God, if you're saying that, I can't even... No, but see, no, 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 Mike. Okay. How dare you? (laughs) Listen, first of all, Mm -hmm. the thing that's different is I basically don't have deadlines, right? Like I set up my whole life so that there aren't Uh really deadlines. So I don't miss deadlines. I just don't have deadlines. It's a big difference, right? So I've got this friend who does have deadlines, right? Set by publishers who he has missed consistently for like half a decade off, right? It's like the biggest misses of deadlines of anyone I've ever known. And... He has done basically the virtual version of this. So he has an assistant, but his assistant isn't physically located where he is. So he shares his computer screen with his assistant who virtually wow. watches him type. That's not what I thought you were going to say. I thought you were going to get on a Zoom or whatever. That is the nuclear <laughs> option. 
<laughs> it's the funniest I like thing. the idea that like <laughs> this assistant could just move the mouse pointer back to the word processor. <laughs> right? <laughs> like it could start to drift off and then the mouse just like moves back over, click, and like it starts blinking at you. Yeah, so his assistant has a dual screen setup specifically for this so that they, they can have his shared screen on one monitor while they're working and it it is the exact situation that like Douglas Adams had 30 years ago of like she's waiting to see that the cursor doesn't move that words aren't appearing on the screen for a little while and then is like hey <laughs> what are you doing what over you doing? there <laughs> look you know you mentioned that you found this sad or whatever and i can imagine no a lot of people do feel that way like like i don't think this is sad this is just these people's processes like this is what it takes to do the work. And as long as the work is still good and the person wants the work to exist, I don't consider this to be a sad thing. It's just how the work is done. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, Douglas Adams, it quotes him as literally weeping when asked about his deadlines. So right, I think he different. was having a much harder time. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> he was going through a different set of circumstances there. Like, so my friend is again like he's doing the thing where he's trying to set up a system that gets more work out of him. This is the thing. I think if you set it up for yourself, that's fine. Yeah. If somebody sets it up for you, that's not so fine. Especially <laughs> yeah. when there's like a commerce in the middle of it all, right? Like that's not so good. That's exactly what this is. It's like he was forced to do this. It's like the publisher is like, we're the people who pay your money. You need to be in this hotel room at 3 p.m. tomorrow and we're not leaving until we get a book out of you. Mm. And it's like, kind of all right. If we <laughs> remove that so... part of it, just like this idea that I'm happy you brought in of like, you know, someone who has a similar situation. Yeah. It's like, this is just what it takes to get the work done. And like for, for a lot of people, including me, it is deadlines. Like, that's yeah. what I need. Otherwise, the work doesn't get done. I drift, you know? Yeah, and I've always said that, like, I think it's interesting that deadlines clearly do work like that for some people. That like, And if you know that that's the thing, and if it feels to me like that's true for, it's got to be like the vast majority of people are like that. I think the majority of people, I think they exist. I think deadlines exist for a reason, like this idea of when work needs to be done and how it's done. And like, I think it's perpetuated an idea. And I do believe that it comes from the fact that like people by and large meet deadlines and that inherently suggests that it works at least a little bit. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's good or bad for people, but is it better or worse than the things not being done? Like, I don't know. So anyway, I found it an interesting little article and I like this as I think of what I do compared to most people as seeming quite extreme and weird. So I was very happy to read an article about an extremer and weirder situation. Yep, at least no one's locking you inside of a hotel room. Oh, yeah, anyway. <laughs> I only do that to myself. <laughs> so we made reference to the iPhone event. That means there must have been an iPhone. Yeah, there was a new iPhone event. I hosted you at Mega Studio. We had like a fun little evening. Mm -hmm. It was you, me, and underscore Widget Smith yep. all watched the Apple event together. I like that crew. Good crew. Definitely more entertaining than just 
watching it on your own. I really uh, don't like watching these events on my own. Oh, yeah? At this point, I've seen like a lot, especially WWDC. I've watched more WWDCs in the company of others, even mm-hmm. in like hotel rooms in San Francisco or San Jose. And so like I've gotten that feel for what it's like to watch with people, talk to people, laugh, make jokes, like what did he say? Oh, you know, like that kind of thing that goes on. Like I much, much prefer being able to watch these events with people rather than watching them on my own. I couldn't believe that you wanted to host us because that, again, in Stack September was a very busy day for you because we're watching the event. And then you were recording Upgrade in like a couple hours afterwards. Yeah, but... It's better than just hanging around on my own. See, again, this is just the difference between us. Where it's like, if I had to record a podcast, it's like, no, no social event ahead of this. No, no, no. I, <laughs> like, I'll, I'll watch that event on my own. But like hosting two other people, that's a whole day in and of itself. But well, there were like- some moments after the event before you guys left because was I had hours to spare still, which was good, where you were talking and I was just silent for a while because I was like making some notes. But mm-hmm. I just enjoy watching these events with people because I also like to hear different thoughts and feelings before I'm then going to talk about it, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's also always fun to kind of see what gets the small involuntary reactions out of people, right? Like what causes someone to like laugh or go, huh, or whatever. Like it it is interesting to see like where, you know, how do other people react to little different moments in the event? Mm Mm-hmm. I was going to say, I think it is fair to say I also much more enjoyed watching this event with other people because it was perhaps one of the less exciting Apple events that I have ever seen. I don't know if I'd necessarily agree with that. Like, Okay. This is better than last year. Like, with the iPhone, at least, maybe you're excited by the Apple Watch Ultra because it was new, right? Mm-hmm. But, like, the iPhone portion, and, like, just in general, if you're a pro customer, especially if you're a pro max customer, this is a more intriguing prospect than last year's phone, I think. Yeah. Okay. So that is the difference. Cause like you're the pro max guy, right? Yeah. Whereas I, like I made this decision of, I'm just never doing this. I'm always tempted, but it's like, no, no, I'm going to have a policy decision of I'm not buying the big yeah. phone we'll because see. I always regret it. We'll see. I think there's a lot of this going on this time. It's going to change again. I agree that you feel this way. No, there's I a think, policy, Mike. Yeah, right? we'll you can't see. Change, you can't we'll change see. the policy. Oh yeah. It's impossible. It's written into the laws of nature. This policy. It's set at central, this policy. Policy. Like there's nothing oh, I can well, do if about it. Said it actually, you know, I was talking to a guy and he found a way to get around these central policies. So oh, you just need somebody to like, I don't know, like turn off your Wi-Fi and order an iPhone for you. But yeah, I, th- I think for someone who has a policy of not getting the big phone, I feel like it was a pretty uninteresting year. The thing I'm most excited about is mm-hmm. the overall camera package this year. Okay. Because... At least from what they were talking about, and you know, we are still in the limbo stage of not actually having these phones. And like, there, are, well, when we're recording, there are no reviews. There might be reviews by the time this episode comes out. I don't know. Right? Yeah, we're still under all the embargoes. Well, people are. We're not. <laughs> I meant we is in like the greater we. The greater right? we. Like, yeah. the, like the society is uh-huh. still under the embargoes. Last year, they introduced the larger sensor, the forty-eight megapixel sensor, right? And. It enabled 48 megapixel images if you shoot in RAW. And then that was kind of the end of it, right? The other thing that it did, it brought the 2X back because they will just sample a certain portion of the sensor. And I was very excited about the 48 megapixel sensor because I was looking forward to some big jumps in image quality. But it just ended up not being a thing last year. Mm. 
because it just binned all the images down to 12 megapixels unless you went for the 48. But yeah. now they have introduced kind of what I have been, didn't know I was asking for, but what I was asking for, which is a new 24 megapixel default super high resolution image where it is taking the data from the 48 megapixel sensor and putting it into their pipeline to create a better image at the end. And what I think is fantastic is this is actually mm. going to be on all the phones. All four phones are getting this feature this year, which I think is great. And so they have done what I hope they would do because I was a little let down with the sensor last time because I didn't really feel like I was getting what was promised to me in a way. Yeah, yeah. At least from the, like, the rumors beforehand, right? Like bigger sensor is going to be big news. But I didn't really feel like I was getting a big change. And my hope was that they would take the next year of it being on people's devices and work on it and generate something new at the end of it. And that's what they've done. I don't believe that this changes the 14 Pro, I think, because there is actually changes to the 48 megapixel sensor itself to enable for this new whatever these lenses need to have. But now, like, all of the phones, the 15, the 15 Plus, the 15 Pro, the 15 Max, get this 48 megapixel sensor and the 24 megapixel super high resolution default. Okay, that's a good point. I'm realizing, I remember that part in the presentation, but I feel like I did not put that together about, like, oh, the actual image being bigger part. I think in all of these presentations now, like, some of these numbers, like, they're just crazy big numbers, right? Or they're talking about different things. And it's like, there's sometimes in the the technical detail sections, it's like, is this the part where I don't fully pay attention because you're just going to say that the numbers are bigger each time, right? Or am I fully paying attention? Yeah. Yeah. And there's stuff you need to see. Like, you know, like in the pro phones, they're talking about, like, you can choose the focal distance or like the focal length for images. And, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just like, I kind of vaguely understand what that means, you know? It's like, but I don't know what it looks like for my iPhone. Right. So like, I need to see that part, but I can understand the concept that they're giving. The other thing that I'm happy about is this is on the 14 now. It's in the final version of iOS 17. They've enabled a 48 megapixel Heath file which basically means it's not massive file sizes, but you're able to take full advantage of the 48 megapixel sensor without going through the processing. So if you want a full data, high quality image, you're able to get that in a more compressed form. So it's like you know a couple of megabytes rather than 100 megabytes of yeah. that Aurora image is in. So <laughs> yeah. that's great. Like I'm happy about these changes. Like I think it will make for a better default and that with the, with the heave stuff will make it more likely for me to take the larger sensor images again i was shooting photos for a little while in the raw mm-hmm. thing and then i realized very fast of like oh this is wildly impractical. and they're just hard to deal with right <laughs> yeah, it, yeah it's complicated and now now it being in the, the heave format is just what actually all iphone photos are currently in mm-hmm. and now they they've got this for the like the 48 megapixel sensor as well and there's other stuff like portrait mode they've made that what looks to be much better. You take a photo of a person and it captures the data of the portrait and you can later on turn it into a portrait mode image. Yeah, I mean, importantly, Mike, a photo of a person or a dog. Or a dog, yes. (laughs) Sorry, how could I forget? That is literally my first note under the iPhone section when I was watching the event was I was dog auto portrait exclamation mark. (laughs) I am really happy with that on the software side because... I feel like that's a constant annoyance of, do I want to take a portrait mode photo here? And for me, the main thing with that was always, 
it's the trade-off with the live photo. Like the live photo is really valuable to have. And so having to say like, I'm going to give up the live photo because I think that this moment will make a good portrait photo. It always felt like a bad kind of roll of the dice. Like I don't want to be making this decision. And like, I really like the portrait mode. I think over the years, it's gotten so much better. You can get some great photos of it. The first version was kind of shaky, but like, if you haven't tried it in a couple of years, like the portrait mode thing, I think looks really good. And I have a bunch of photos where I'm, I'm very happy that I got them as portrait mode photos. I typically go in and edit them and you can adjust the amount of blur. Yeah, yeah. I typically will bring it down a little bit from mm-hmm. the default. But yeah, the same. Like I have so many images now. Like if I'm taking a picture of someone, I will always also take a portrait photo now. Mm-hmm. Like if someone's like, hey, take a picture of me. Like cause it's just, you know, I'll go landscape, portrait, and then portrait mode. You know, like I'll do like, you know, <laughs> right, so you right. get them in both. Because like, I don't know, maybe you want to post it on Instagram stories. So I've got to get a portrait image for you. Mm-hmm. I don't do this for like uh, brandos in the street who ask me, which I do get asked quite a lot. And you know, always points this out. People always ask me a lot to take photos of them. I don't know what vibe I give off. Anyway, <laughs> like if it's of a friend or a, f- or a family member, I also take like a portrait mode photo. And so I like that now I wouldn't need to do this. I hope that Apple is able to work out at some point live portrait mode, right? If you're going to allow me to do that, if I can take a live photo and then turn it into a portrait mode later on, why can't I have the best of both worlds? I mean, they must be able to do that at some point because they basically do that with their cinematic mode. I mean, that's what cinematic mode is. Exactly. That's what I was thinking. It's like, let's do it. Let's just go for it. Because as well, like they've brought some of those cinematic mode ideas to portrait photos as well. You can change what the focus is after the fact of the portrait photos. So you've got two people, you could change it to the other person. Cool. Yeah, that cinematic mode stuff is interesting. I've, I've actually, just in the past like couple months, I've noticed a few like vloggers on YouTube are clearly using cinematic mode uh, on their phone to shoot stuff. Huh. And I thought like, oh, that's very interesting. Like, I think most people would never notice. Again, like if, if you're working in this professionally, it's very obvious straight away of like, ah, okay, I can see that that's not a real lens like this is being done with portrait mode on an iphone but i thought like oh it's an interesting way to put like a soft blur on everyone who is not the primary Mm -hmm. focus of the vlogger i just i wondered like oh i wonder if this is just kind of crossed over some useful threshold because it's just like turning up a little bit here and there but yeah it does make me think about live portrait mode photos like it's the same idea i wonder if it's just a Again, if it's like a computational processing problem, like they just can't do it fast enough. Um, but I, I don't know. But either way, I'm just really glad to not have to always do that small cognitive task of do I want this to be a normal photo or do I want this to be a portrait photo? And all joking aside, it really is serious about it being for dogs, right? I think like for dogs and kids, you never know what they're going to do, right? They're not like patiently waiting for their photo to be taken. Mm-hmm. So that's why the trade-off is like a harder trade-off to make in those circumstances. But of course, the thing we haven't mentioned on the Pro is the five-time zoom lens. Five-time zoom is a lot of zoom. I'm not going to be able to make a decision about this until I use it. I'm not like really excited about it, though. Why not? Why aren't you all into the big zoom? Big phone, big zoom. <laughs> I've wanted it as an option like i'm not sure how i feel about 1x 2x 5x like that jump from 2 to 5 is quite a lot oh that is i would have ideally liked a fourth lens added to the phone 
so I got one, two, three, and five. Like that would have been my ideal. Hmm. And so I'm not going to know really until I use it. Like maybe two X will do most of the time what I need. And then I have the five X like for things that need that. And that's just like a better option than three X was. I don't know. Like this is going to have to be one of those things I'm not going to be able to judge for a while. Like it's very impressive. Like the images on their website, it's very impressive what you can get for a five X zoom. But I'm just not sure that that's what I need. Yeah, I, you know, it's funny. I didn't think about it because it's like, I think their 5X is like 120 millimeter equivalent. I yeah. wasn't really thinking that. Is that right? Is it yeah. 120? Yeah, 120. Yeah, like that's what I used to shoot when I was the second shooter for weddings. And 120 lets you get very far away. Like that was the purpose of using that lens is to get natural photos of people because they just don't even realize that they're oh, okay. they're getting their photo taken. You get all the like, oh, here's the family just acting natural at the dinner kind of photos because people just don't tune into it. The good photos. They're different from the portraiture photos. Yeah, uh, I like candid. I, that's that's my favorite. Yeah, and I, I liked being the candid photographer because then I could be further away from everyone and didn't have to interact <laughs> with them, right? Sneak it's into like, the background. But, right, that's why I had that job and my wife had the job of doing all the formal photos. It's like, I don't have to interact with anyone back here. But it is a, re- like... In my use of the phone, whenever I punched into 3X, I've never felt like I wish it was more. Whereas I have felt that when it was just the 2X zoom. It's like, oh, if I could just get a little closer, that'd be great. But the 3X, for everything that I'm taking photos of normally, that's as far as I ever want to go. And yeah, 120 millimeters, that's really far with 5X. The thing that I'm wondering about with that is because I do agree with you, but the pause that I have in my mind is like, is there just things that I think there's no point taking a photo of this? Yeah, that's true. Like, and so I don't. And like now I might be able to. And so maybe that will be good. The jury is out for me on mm-hmm. this lens. Well, like for everything else, I'm like, yes, this is what I was hoping they would do. And now I just need to make sure that it lives up to what the presentation shows, you know? So you're still definitely getting the big phone then for the Oh, I mean, there's no doubt. Like, there's no (laughs) doubt. Because, like, for me, it's not anything other than the screen. Like, it doesn't matter what else they do. I buy the big phone and I've always bought the big phone because I want the biggest screen. Right, right. Like, for watching videos, for reading messages, for reading web pages, like, I always want the biggest screen iPhone that I can get. It's the device I use, like, all day, every day. Like now it's on the standby mode. I want a nice big screen for the standby mode. Like that's just my preference. Big screen for standby mode would be nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's loads of great reasons to get the big phone. <laughs> Mike, always the, always the big phone evangelist. <laughs> oh, that's me, man. I'm, I'm, I've been in the pocket for of big phone for a really long time now. What do you think about the titanium? This is one of those things... I have to wait to see it in person. It's hard to judge. So our friends on the ground. Okay. So like people like Jason and Steven, they've all been telling me that it is very noticeably lighter. So lighter to me feels like the kind of thing that it can be a double-edged sword. I just kind of wonder how that feels. Maybe it's a bit like there's some kind of uncanny valley of lightness where ultimately you want the phone to feel like nothing, right? You want it to feel just like a almost massless object that's just a piece of glass, right? That's where we're headed with these things. But there's some amount of weight which feels nice and solid. And I think the current generation of phone really hits a feels nice in the hand sort of weight size ratio. 
So, I mean, I suspect I'll just be happier with a lighter phone, but this is why, like, I would be curious to see it in person and to just see how does this actually feel? Mm -hmm. Do our friends on the ground like the lightness? Because saying that it feels lighter is different from saying that they like it. Yeah. Everybody Mm -hmm. seems to be excited about it. I mean, I am happier for thinner bezels, right? Like, I'm always happier for that. Like, even if we're just, like, decreasing the physical size of the phone by 2% and making the bezel smaller, like, I think that's nice. So that's great for the case either way. The other thing, of course, just with the titanium to me is, like, the colors. <sighs> Can we get this some is actual just... colors? <laughs> and this does, this is in everything. I don't understand <laughs> what's going on. Like, I was just talking about this with Jason the other day because there was recently was the 25th anniversary of the iMac. Mm. And he was on the talk show with John Gruber and they were talking about beige computers. Mm -hmm. And then the iMac came in and it was big and bright and colorful. Right. And I was just thinking about like what computers look like now. And by and large, they are metallic tones. Yeah, it's silver. Everything's silver. And like, will we ever get something now that comes in and it's like, here we go. It's new. And I'm not sure we will now. I think because what, at least with what we have, like I can't imagine a phone or a laptop or something like bursting into the scene and being like, this is upending everything with its brand new design because these things are just all about screens now. Yeah, yeah. It's just about a screen. And so like I figure maybe something that's like a new device, right? Then like the ones that we're currently using might be the thing that comes in and changes what it means to look what a computer will look like. Yeah, it was just like, you know, I was hoping for something a little more like the the iPhone 15. I don't like the colors particularly, but I like what they're doing, right? With like this in color infused glass like all of the images look really interesting like it's got this kind of like weird frosted and like the color pools in certain areas like it looks interesting like visually interesting and the pro phone is like here is four just tones this again was a laugh out loud moment for me when they said and it comes in four great colors right and they have it zoomed in so you don't see the phones in full but it's like guys We need to sit down and have a review as a class of what a color is. There's one (laughs) color. There's one color, right? There's one color and it's with an asterisk. Again, this is one of these like, I want to see it in person. It's it's hard to tell kind of thing. So I was like, that is not four colors, guys. My MacBook Air is the midnight one, right? Mm -hmm. And... This is Stephen said to me that it looks like that. All right, that's sort of what I was expecting. Yeah, which is like the least blue something could be, but blue. Yeah, if I, if I was like giving things a grade, it feels like it's a student who's trying to like just barely pass with a thing. It's like, yes, that is technically a color, right? Midnight blue is like you've just crossed the threshold into blue. I don't know. Like I just I just reached behind me to one of my old iPhones, and it like it still kills me. I've got the. The one that they actually did, the pro one that was really blue, I think this is the 13. It's like that one year they made one that was beautiful and actually blue. Like no one would disagree with it. It was blue. And it's like, I bought it. I loved it. It was one of my favorite phones ever. And it's like, and we only did it that once. <laughs> like, why? I've been trying to like talk myself into this question. And it's like, okay, Gray, maybe... Like, think about this for a minute. Like, maybe the richest company on Earth knows something that you don't about colors, and there's a reason that they're not doing real colors on their phones. 
do you think you know better than them for what colors their phone should be? And a reasonable answer to that is no, right? I don't know better. The richest company on earth probably does know better what colors to make their phone. But then it still (laughs) seems crazy to me. And you even talk about the regular iPhones. Again, when they introduced it, they zoomed in real close on the pink one. And so it looks like it's actually like a bold, bright... I mean, this would be the year for it. It looked for a second like, oh, they made like a Barbie pink phone. And then they zoom back out and it's like, oh, no, it's a little bit more like they put some drops of pink dye in milk. That's what it actually looks like. It's like, make it pink. Like, am I crazy? I think you'd sell a billion of them if you made it like really pink. Make the green one really green. You know, don't make it milk, but a little green. I don't know. It's... We say this every year, but every year I'm like continually baffled anew by this. I don't get it. I don't get it at all. It does make you feel like you're you're losing the plot a bit, right? Because it is that thing of like, surely they know. But like, am I the only like? What is happening? Is it just us who wants these? Like, it's the weird thing of like, is it just me and? everyone i know like it's one of the things that my wife complained about immediately like what are these colors what happened to my gold phone like nope no gold phone for you everyone i talk to they want to know like why doesn't apple make colors like i I don't know i just don't get it i don't know if i can really talk myself into i know better than apple on this one but I would pay real money to be the fly on the wall at whatever meetings they have when they decide colors. Like, I just want to know, like, Mm. what's your reasons? Like, there's got to be reasons, right? There can't just not be reasons. I don't know. (laughs) It really bugs me. Like, I just I just want a like a nice blue phone like they made that one time. But I don't know. Maybe like I'm the only guy who bought the blue one and that's why they don't make it. Is it me that is wrong? (laughs) No, it is the Apple who is wrong. (laughs) I am intrigued about the titanium. You know, for me, I'm sad that they got rid of the gold, but it's something different. And so sometimes I just want different. I've done the gold phone for a few years now. Mm -hmm. And so I'm also going to, we'll talk about this in a second, I'm going to treat myself to an Apple Watch Ultra this year. And the natural titanium iPhone looks like it will kind of match with the Apple Watch Ultra, and I guess I can live with that. I do really like the brushed metal look. Yeah. I think that's cool. But I like, I'm like i hugely biased here because I've, like, I've had the brushed metal on my wedding ring for forever. Like mm-hmm. I just really like that look. That I do like on the case. Um, but yes, you're going to get the Apple Watch Ultra, huh? Yeah, I was hoping... <laughs> I was hoping for a little, a little more. Than were you, were you what they hoping did. for an update? Because I have waited mm-hmm. for the best part of a year, like right. maybe like nine months. Mm-hmm. The thing is, like, I, I don't care whether they update it or not specifically, but it is weird to me that they did update it and they updated it with so little, mm-hmm. like a brighter screen. This is the same for both watches: brighter screens, faster processors ultra wideband 2 and the faster processor has this like tapping with your finger and thumb Mm -hmm. thing to do stuff in the ui i think they call it double tap which is 
very reminiscent of how you interact. No, it's not reminiscent. It is the way you interact with the Vision Pro. Well, Mike, it's only reminiscent of this for someone who has used the Vision Pro, right? I yeah, do I not... To have, to have a memory of doing it, you have to have done I, it. Yes. I cannot so. reminisce about what it was like to use the Vision Pro. Thank you very much. It's Yes, well, it's like that. It's, for those of us who have had the opportunity. It's so reminiscent, don't you think? Not really. No, I don't. Do you remember that time? So it's this interest. I'm, I'm intrigued to see what this will look like. This isn't necessarily something that I would have up and I don't think anybody should upgrade their Apple Watch for this feature specifically but I am ready like I have a Series 7 so and I get like 11 hours battery life on my watch hmm. now every day it's just driving me mad so like I'm ready for an upgrade so that feature where you tap your fingers together uh-huh. the reminiscent one that has existed on the watch as an accessibility feature uh, I, I yes. like stumbled upon it one day yes. and I turned it on just to try it I tried it for a little while, and it's interesting. Now, I'll just grant that whatever version they currently have is better than the accessibility version, which was a little... I was about to say the word gross, but I mean I mean gross as opposed to fine. Like your movements had to be sort of gross to make it work. So assuming that they make the movement a little bit better and a bit more precise... My experience was that there was still kind of a like fundamental UI problem here in that you never exactly knew what the gesture was going to do. Yep. They describe it as like, oh, when you do this gesture, when you tap your fingers together, it will perform the default action. I think that the difference that we'll find here is that as an accessibility feature, it was just like trying to plug in to the system mm-hmm. when now the system watchOS apps have been designed with this in mind. So maybe it will do the thing you're expecting. But that is a very weird user experience challenge. Yeah. You have to anticipate what the user will want to do and they will do a thing and it's got to do that and if it works 95 percent of the time it's still not enough which is the complicated thing right like yeah every time somebody wants to do a thing and they tap their f- thumb and finger together and it does a different thing is going to be annoying so like, this is a very intriguing thing and look at the moment this is only in apple's apps there is no api for this third-party apps cannot use this feature hmm Maybe that's why, like, it's got to be a bit more refined and thought through. I don't know. But what's different here is that the new processor is enabled this feature to be more reliable. So mm-hmm. they're able to roll it out. It's just like a system thing rather than just the accessibility thing that has existed before. Yeah, I mean, I never I never had any problem. Like, again, once you sort of learn what is it looking for, I never had any problem with it not registering right. my doing the double tap. I still think it's it's not even a question of predicting what the user does. Even in their demo, it highlights what I think is a weird problem of when someone calls you, you do the gesture to answer. But it's the same gesture to end the phone call. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that that's just, there's just like a little cognitive hurdle every time. Now that one makes sense to me. Because it's like, if someone calls you, you put your AirPods in, mm-hmm. you click the button. And then when you're done, you click the button again. Like, that's what they're trying to build on, right? Of, like, 
what is the thing that you're most likely to do at any point? So they showed an example of the alarm went off. Yeah. And the lady tapped her thumb and finger together and the alarm stopped. That was like the reason I turned it on was exactly that use case, right? It's competing with the nose tap, right? No more nose tapping. That's what they're trying to do here. Mm So I'll try it out. I'll be curious to see if there is a new version. But I was just aware of like, I tried it for a while. I tried to make it work. And I just found the slight cognitive overhead of what is it going to do here? Yeah. A little weird yeah. that was even with the ui would like highlight it would it would still make it very clear if you were looking at the phone like which button is it going to press or what's going to happen but i just still found it like awkward each time and it was weirdly more natural to just keep doing nose tapping like i've been doing all of these years That's pre- it's, there is a precision in that and at least you're making a choice yeah i'm making a choice but, and also if it doesn't yeah. work you know why because <laughs> you yeah. were using your nose so maybe you're more forgiving of it i don't know yeah you're more forgiving of the errors and also if we were to reminisce about the way that the vision pro gesture works yes. the advantage that the vision pro has is it knows exactly what you're looking at yeah so i can imagine there it just feels so much more natural because the system knows like you're looking at this thing again like in a way that is even hard for me to explain is mm-hmm. It was precise in a way that I could not even explain to you. And this is mm-hmm. a thing that you will all get to experience one day, including you. <laughs> but like th- this idea that like you don't really know where you're looking. Like mm-hmm. This was the thing that was really surprising to me that it felt like, honestly, it was reading my mind is what it felt like. Because I would want to do a thing and most of the time all I would need to do is just tap my fingers together and the thing would happen because I was looking there. Mm-hmm. Like there didn't need to be a lot of negotiation between my brain and my fingers because my eyes were just in the middle doing the thing for me. Yeah. It was very peculiar. And this obviously isn't going to be like that because yeah. it's live quite limited. But yeah, this is coming in October to the Apple Watches. Mm-hmm. My hope would be that there might be a developer story between now and then, but there doesn't seem to be one yet. and Because that would be weird to me, right? That like, if this is the thing that only Apple's apps can do, it's like, well, that's not helpful. Yeah, but I don't know. I could also see that being the case just in, like the reason this feature is interesting at all to think about is it feels like the first step along with the Vision Pro of maybe Apple trying to build up some kind of physical language interface with the system. Like that's what this is. Yeah, I'm on board with that. But like, if it's going to truly work and catch on with people, it needs to be as ubiquitous as possible. Yes. And yeah. if there's only a subset of applications that it works in, people aren't going to build it into their muscle memory. Mm-hmm. If every time you want to check the weather and you want to like, I don't know what it would be, like a show switch from weekly to daily forecast or whatever, and it doesn't work in the weather app that you use, well, you're going to stop doing it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's the, the weirdness about it. But yeah, I'm excited about getting an Apple Watch Ultra. I love the way the thing looks. Like I like the screen. It, you know, it's bigger than I want overall, like physically. Mm-hmm. Not the screen, like the actual case of the watch. I'm not a huge fan of the uh, crown guard, like the part that sticks out of the side. Yeah. And I'm also not a big fan of the fact that there is a big orange button. I know. Always. I like I the orange button some of the time. And like, I'm going to get two watch bands that will have orange in them because it will match. But when I'm wearing a suit, mm-hmm. 
sometimes I still want to wear my Apple Watch and I have a gold Apple Watch and I put the gold Milanese band on it and I think it dresses it up. I don't think it's as easy to dress something up in a way that I like when there's orange all over the thing. There is no dressing up the Apple Watch yeah. Ultra. I don't think you can make that thing look fancy for a fancy party. Like It's just not going to happen. You know, I have a couple of watches that I love and that I haven't worn in a long time and maybe they will get used a little bit more once I move over to the Apple Watch Ultra. But Apple, you kill me. Like, I just want to be able to continue getting all of my fitness stuff. And I can't <laughs> if I want to wear a nice watch because you put orange on the watch. You know, like that's the the trade-off. Yeah, I think the biggest surprise for all three of us watching the event that all of us were like, oh my God, really? It was Apple Ultra Watch 2. It's like, okay, so the upgrades are minor. Like they've done basically nothing to upgrade it. But surely they're about to tell us about their new color once again and it was like nope yep. <laughs> like <laughs> Great, they used all the color on the iphones <laughs> they used it all <laughs> it's all i don't think you saw them it's all it's all there you didn't want to get black titanium <laughs> yeah i you just know? like I, I, again, I was just completely blown away i was like all of these minor upgrades surely they are in service of the fact that there's actually a new color like nope Mm-mm. all of us were shocked in that room it was unbelievable <laughs> this episode of cortex is brought to you by factor with the busy fall season already in swing you might be looking for some wholesome convenient meals for your jam-packed days Factor is America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit, and it can help you fuel up fast with chef-prepared, dietitian approved ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You save time, eat well, and stay on track with a healthy lifestyle. With Factor, you can skip the extra trip to the grocery store. Their fresh, never-frozen meals are ready in just two minutes, and you have more than 34 flavor-packed options to choose from every week. This convenience cannot be overstated. For me, lunch is one of the difficult meals of the day. It's actually the most difficult meal of the day. I want to try and make sure that I'm eating balanced and I'm still having something varied. I'm not having like the same stuff every day. So having these great options to choose from and then also being able to just throw something in the microwave and have it done in a couple of minutes and it be high quality food, you cannot beat this. If you want something special, you can level up with the Gourmet Plus options prepared to perfection by chefs and ready to eat in record time. You know this sounds good to me. You can treat yourself to upscale meals with premium ingredients like broccolini, leeks, truffle butter, asparagus. Come on. Plus, you can keep your energy up with lunch to go. Factors effortless, wholesome meals like grain bowls and salad toppers, no microwave required, even easier. Then, to finish your order, you can choose from 45 add-ons, including breakfast items like apple cinnamon pancakes, bacon and cheddar egg bites, and smoothies. You can rest assured that you're making a sustainable choice because Factor offset 100% of their delivery emissions to your door, along with sourcing renewable electricity and featuring sustainably sourced seafood. This September, get Factor and enjoy eating well without the hassle. Simply choose your meals and enjoy fresh, flavor-packed meals directly delivered to your door, ready in just two minutes, no prep, no mess. Head to factormeals.com slash cortex50 and use the code cortex50 and you'll get 50% off your first box. That's cortex50 at factormeals.com slash cortex50 to get 50% off your first box. Our thanks to Factor for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. Should we do some Ask Cortex questions? Yeah, let's do some Ask Cortex. Love it. Liba asks, how many tabs do you have open on average? And for Gray, how many tabs do you tend to have open during a research stint? 
Ooh, uh, why don't you go first, Mike? All right, so I am a tab group user. Okay. Okay, so the way that I work is on my MacBook Air, which is the machine I do most of my work from. I do have a bunch of tabs open there in just like the non-grouped tabs section, and that tends to be around 10 tabs, and this is usually like things that I want to remember or things that I'm tracking for a limited time and then they're just going to go away. Like I have like a tab which has our St. Jude page on it and stuff, right? So like these are just like temporary things and keeping my eye on and then they go. Uh But outside of that, I am very heavy on tab groups. I have five tab groups, Relay FM, Recording, Cortex Brand, Home and Vacation. And I say Home and Vacation, they are like, here's a thing that I found that I might want to get for my house. I'll put it in this tab group and then one day I'll get to it. It's like a little storage. Mm-hmm. And similarly for vacations, if we're going on a vacation, that's where I'll put like the restaurants that I like and then I'll go through them and pick the ones that I want and put them into Tripsy. Then Cortex Brand and Relay FM, I feel like a pretty self-explanatory, right? Like these are the tabs that I have open that are related to these businesses. So it's all the various websites and web services that I use, like for the Relay FM one, it's got the tabs open for our publishing systems and all that kind of stuff. I'm excited for macOS Sonoma that you will be able to be like a, there's like a new kind of thing. I think it's called profiles. Mm-hmm. So you'll be able to be signed in to accounts for the same service in different profiles. I'll have a Relay FM profile and a Cortex brand profile so i could be signed in to say two different youtube accounts on each one or whatever stuff like that actually have, have you used the beta at all on the mac on no macOS? i haven't used it at all okay i don't mess around with the mac os base <laughs> that's danger town for me <laughs> that's too far yeah i was just realizing like i don't have any idea how that works with with the tab groups like does it just change what things you're signed into or is there a whole different group of tab groups it sits above tab groups Okay. So inside of the, I think they're called profiles, but inside of these profiles, you can then have tab groups. So you can have separate tab groups for different profiles. Correct. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Oh. And I think once you set these up on the Mac, they then sync to your other devices. Oh, that's intriguing. So I'm pretty excited to try some of that out, but it might not stick. I might not like it. It might be too many clicks, but I'm going to give it a go and see, see what I think. But then the last one is the recording tab group, which is like, this is the limited set of tabs that I have open when I'm recording a show. Mm-hmm. which will be like the CMS, the ad system, and whatever show document I'm working on, except for Cortex, where it's in Notion. Mm. What about you? So I have kind of a weird setup here. That is um, not a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, what is a tab, right? <laughs> <laughs> here we go. I feel like for years, I was a big proponent of something like tab groups in Safari, and then we got tab groups, and I really like them, But there's one part of this which just kills me every time still, which is that like the default tab group in some sense is this local only tab group Mm -hmm. that doesn't sync across devices. I find this just very infuriating to work with for a bunch of reasons. Like it kills me that this the whole thing doesn't sync. The analogy I always use is it's like if in the notes app, every time you made a new note, that note was only saved on that device and you had to manually put it into the sync folder if you wanted it to sync everywhere like i think that would just be obviously crazy but whatever they've made a decision that when you click a link it opens in like the local 
tab group and fine, whatever. I find that frustrating, but it's something that I've gotten used to over time that I now don't think about it anymore. Yeah, I think this is like the computer version of what we were talking about before with having goals or like things that you did because of your past self. Like this to me just totally reads as it works this way because this is the way browsers have always worked with just the local stuff. But if you were building a browser today, you would never make this design decision. Mm -hmm. Like if you were starting from scratch, no one would do it like this. But so I so cannot live with this that what I've been doing this whole year is I have two browsers and my default browser is actually, I cannot believe I'm about to say these words. My default browser is Microsoft Edge. My word. <laughs> He's been bing-pilled. <laughs> I have. I've been bing-pilled. You are living proof for why Microsoft has invested so many millions of dollars into this stuff. It was just to get you to use Bing. Rewind two years ago and uh, like ask my past self, like, hey, two years from now, you're going to set Microsoft Edge as the default web browser on your computer. Why do you think this will happen? I would have no ability to yeah. describe that future yeah. scenario. I'd be like, uh, I don't know. I had a brain concussion and like couldn't think straightly anymore. Like I have no idea why I would do that kind of thing. So yeah. Edge is my default browser. You are right. It is because I have been Bing-pilled. And I do want to use Bing <laughs> as my main search engine. <laughs> I think Bing, with their Bing chat, just is, like, is just straight up better than Google in a lot of scenarios. So I do want to use that. Whoa, whoa, but whoa, whoa. Hold whoa, on. Whoa, let, whoa. let me just finish one thing here. Okay, okay. If it was right. only that... I probably wouldn't be using Microsoft Edge as the default one. Like, I do like it, but, like, what's the marginal increase in value over something like Google or DuckDuckGo? I think it's better, but it's not, like, enough better to be running an entire separate browser. It's the combination of these two things that Safari has a really annoying feature. So I want to use Safari in a different way, which I'll get to in a second. And so then if I am going to have another browser, which browser is it going to be that's going to be the default? I click on a link and I know that this link isn't going to sync anywhere. It's just like living in this browser mm -hmm. on my computer. In that context, making the decision then if I use Edge, I can use Bing is like the deciding factor for what is the other browser. Okay. Do you use the vertical tab thing that they made? Uh, I forgot they even did that. I think I tried that for like a day and I hated it. Okay. I just wondered, like there are a few things that people like about Edge. This is one of those things of like, it's a different way of doing things that maybe works differently, better with other people's brains. That, like the tabs are in a sidebar rather than at the top of it. What I was worrying about, oh, actually, before I get to that, this is very funny <laughs> we, because we need to back up three levels now about my. Yeah, tabs. We're, we're in many, many parentheses <laughs> down at this point. I'm very happy that we did this question today because I don't th know that this would have come up in state of the apps. Like, I can't imagine having asked what browser are you using? <laughs> you know, we need, we, we need like a browser a, category now yeah. for state of the apps. I now have another question before I get to the question that I wanted to get to, which is, do you use this on your iPhone too? Do you use Edge on your iPhone? I actually do use Edge on my iPhone. Well, yes. I feel like you have to. Like, uh, this is this is the thing. Like, if you use a, a browser, you have to use that browser everywhere, in my opinion. Yeah. Because, yeah. like, this is why I use the Chrome app for like a really, really long time. Because when I was using Chrome, 
well, you've got to use the browser you're using because you've got all your history there, all your like synced tabs and stuff. It's all in there. You can't just flip-flop between browsers. I think it's wild that people do that. I have an exception to that, which is okay. I don't use Edge on my iPad, but it's just because I have a very different use case on my iPad. Sure. I'm almost entirely reading, and they're just... Um, Edge's reader mode is so much worse than Safari's reader mode. I'm mm-hmm. willing to make the trade the other way. But it's just like I have a very particular use case for the iPad. Yeah, but on I my iPhone, that. yeah, it's Edge. So the question I wanted to ask you was, like, how much are you actually using the Bing AI such? I mean, I'm using it in every case when I would have used Google two years ago. Why but... is it better for you, though, like in searching? Like, what is the chat search? providing that is better than like a web search so there's two things i have felt for years like the quality of search engine results has just gotten worse across all search engines i think that's just a byproduct of seo yeah it's like seo has ruined the internet it's people like knowing what to target it's that problem of uh like oh page rank is a genius idea until everyone knows that you're using page rank and then they game the system so it has been a problem for years for me that like search engines are obviously less useful than they used to be. And so one of the things that I find really useful about Bing is that it is functionally looking at something like the first two pages of search results and summarizing them for you. Like that's functionally what it's doing. So instead of just going to Google and then I have to be like, okay, which of this is spam SEO garbage and which isn't? Bing is functionally doing that. It's not that the search results themselves, if you just go to Bing and like see what URLs it returns, are that different. It's that it is then doing the thing that I would do, which is look at all of these and try to make some kind of judgment about which of these is the actual good one. But why do you think you can trust its answer? Well, so the reason I like Bing is because when it gives you the answer, it also gives you the link to click and see where did okay. this come from. Okay. So again, just the way I'm using a search engine is I'm never looking for the search engine to give me the answer. I'm looking for where the answer is. Yeah. The end result for me is that I'm always clicking on one of the things that Bing tells me about with the footnote. And yeah, totally. Sometimes I click that link and... I mean, it's like, it's the same story, like with the citation links on Wikipedia, right? You click the link, you're like, oh, hey, I found that over here. And you click it. And it's like, the thing doesn't say remotely what you just said it said. But that effect, again, isn't that different from just using a regular search engine? Sure. I mean, if you're using a search engine the way you use it, which is not how people use search engines right like how do you think people use search engines like they're they're searching for things for answers like and they take the answer that the engine gives them they don't be like oh let me go get the citation for this Hmm. i am also one of these people like i'm searching for the answer i only want the answer (laughs) i don't want how did we get here right like that's the difference between you and i think most other users But so in some sense, what you're saying is that you're looking for, like Google gives you a little summary box at the top. Yeah, I love those. Right. So you're, most of the time when you're Googling something, you're really just looking for that summary box. Like, tell me what the answer is. Is that what you mean? If it has one, that's Mm -hmm. where I'll start. Right. And like, and if that seems to make sense to me, then I'm going to go with it. It doesn't mean it's true. Mm -hmm. I think that is more of the average user's 
or more typical users' experience of a search engine. I can give you another use case of like why is being really useful. Mm-hmm. I think the key with a lot of AI tech in its current state is most of the value is not in the initial question. It's your ability to refine the question as time goes on. So you say like, I'm looking for this, and then it gives you results, and you're like, ah, but more like that, and then it can do this. One of the things I'm using Bing for is trying to find where am I going to do the next graycation, right? Well, like find me a hotel and I can do the thing, which is like, hey, I'm looking for a hotel. It's got to be within like easy train access from central London. I'm trying to find places that have air conditioning. Like there should be a supermarket nearby and a gym if possible. And like all of this kind of nonsense. Have you ever asked Bing if an air conditioning unit can go to 16 degrees Celsius? Look, if I could get Bing to call the front desk and ask them what is the real temperature in the room, I would 100% do that. How far away are we from that? I don't think that far. I don't think we're that far, no. Remember when Google did that a couple of years ago and people were super mad? And now look at us. Now look at us. Again, it's like, oh, the first person who does the demo, how outrageous. And then you just wait 18 months and it's like, it doesn't have this feature? Outrageous. (laughs) That's what happens. You can't make a call for me? Useless. Yeah. But so... One of the things that is really useful here is Bing has a like a limit for how many times you can go back and forth. But for a task where it's like, oh, I know I'm going to do this thing multiple times. Like I'm not just trying to find the one answer now. I've actually started a little habit of making text documents that are related to questions that I ask. And so what I have is something to like paste into Bing now, which is, I'm looking for a hotel with these qualities and you can preempt it when you've previously used it. You know, it gives you a suggestion of three hotels, but then the next time you search, you can tell it like this one was no good because of this. This one is more like what I was looking for because of why. Uh And it clearly does get better at that and then doesn't waste time suggesting things that it's suggested in the past. So I'm, I'm very slowly building up a little library of like frequent queries that get a bit more precise each time based on what happened last time. Pretty sure they call that prompt engineering, you know? So yeah, no, I'm a, I'm a prompt engineer. Mm-hmm. This is the, the future of work, right? <laughs> Obviously, this is what we're all going to do. Uh-huh. So I don't know. I don't know if that answers your question about why do I find Bing useful, but those are the two things. Is like Bing, unlike something like ChatGPT, which just tells you a story and you have no idea why ChatGPT thinks the thing that it does, right. Bing actually gives you the link of like, here's why I think this, and you can go look. And then the ability to like refine searches in an iterated way over time is very useful. So what you're saying is when it comes to web searches, citation needed? Yes, yeah, citation needed. Citation needed, good to know. So this is why Microsoft Edge is my default web browser, is I do want to use Bing, and I want to have it just very clear to me that when I open a link, it's going to go into this place, and I know that this browser works like web browsers have worked for a thousand years, and that the tabs don't go anywhere. They just live on whatever computer that I'm on. And so on my Edge browser, on my different devices, it's just links of like whatever I happen to open that I haven't closed since last time. And that's pretty tight like five tabs at most like because i'm really just looking up something that's all it is but safari has now become the place because of tab groups that is the this is where i can now have all of the things that i'm looking at for the various projects that i'm working on 
end. I just love this. Like tab groups are so good for me for this of the ability to just open up like endless tabs that are on a topic and know that they will sync across devices. But can't you do this in Bing? Like why do you do this in Safari? It doesn't work the same way. Okay. This is one of these like the devils in the details. Lots of browsers, if you look at a feature list, will say, oh, we have tabs that sync, uh-huh. but it's always in some slightly annoying way. Whereas the Safari one is just seamless. Can't you just ask the your search engine, hey, sync my tabs? Like, isn't that how Bing <laughs> yeah. works? What I'm, what I'm going to do is I'll ask Bing, hey, Bing, can you iteratively self-improve? And I would like you to have uh, syncing tabs. So just like learn how to code yourself and improve yourself. And how could this possibly be the beginning of the end of the world? <laughs> just be like, hey, can you just remember all these URLs, please? Just do that for me, please. And then I'll come back to you every day and say, where are my URLs? And then you can... <laughs> Yeah, so I looked into it. I forget exactly how the like syncing works for Microsoft, but it's like it's not as seamless as Safari. There's sure. some reason it's slightly annoying. I can't remember the details right now. But the Safari one is just great. It's just automatic. Like when I open up my Safari now, I just have a list of I've got about 20 tab groups that are all related to some project. Wow. That sort of overstates it because what often happens is <laughs> this is why I was like, oh, there's profiles for Safari. Tell me more. Because what I what I really want is I want folders for my tab groups because I want to distinguish visually much more clearly these are inactive projects or these are things that like I've started but I'll come back to later, but I want to leave the 50 tabs that are open. Like I want to save those. I would like to like visually distinguish times where it's like, here are the two active projects and here's all of the other stuff that just like exists in some stage of incompleteness. Hmm. So I don't know if I'll be able to do that with profiles or not, but... I mean, you could. I don't know if you'll like the result, but it is a way to put your group somewhere. Uh, yeah, again, like the devil's always in the details of how these things work, but if, yeah. if there is some way I can hide the ones that are inactive, I would like to do that. It's like, you know, because I've just got some weird names that I look at all the time where it's like, oh, yeah project jelly like 50 tabs on a topic it's like all oh, right but that one's not going to be done for like a year if ever or if like oh project blue i don't even remember what project blue is and then i click on it it's like ah right there we go a hundred tabs on a thing that mentally planning it out will be like two years from now if that project is finished so it's like i don't want to have to look at that all the time for a thing that's like a really far way away if you have a shared tab group with someone no why would I do that? Well, because you have like people that help you out with the research. I just wondered if maybe it went that far. The way I'm using tabs, it's just like there's no reason to share it with someone because yeah. what I'm constantly doing is uh, you're growing the branches and then you're pruning the branches and you grow them again and prune them again. So it's like exploration. And then I work from the end backward of like, okay, close all the unnecessary things, new phase of exploration, close all the unnecessary things. And ultimately, then I try to do little loops where I'll try to go through backwards all of the tab groups and basically get them into Obsidian. Like, what's the useful information on here? Get it into Obsidian because you don't actually want it to live in this tab group. But the exploration phase can be really big and quite far reaching before it all gets condensed down. So for the current project, there's 128 open tabs that are getting coalesced down into the project. It's actually not the next project. That's the project after the next one. But yes, that's... uh, Naturally. (laughs) The current project actually has zero tabs. Okay. It's in animation, right? It's getting done. It's the September video. Oh, that makes sense, though. 
The research is done, right? So, Actually, that, that yeah. video didn't have research, which is delightful. What, what a delight that was. But yeah, so the thing that'll probably be for, if I'm being realistic about it, the thing that's probably for November, it currently exists as 128 tabs on my browser. This episode of Cortex is brought to you by Flow State Sessions, the three-month productivity program that minimizes distractions and helps you get things done. We talk about productivity on this show a lot. And if you're someone who, like me, gets tons of emails, too many Slack notifications, and task reminders all day, you know what it's like to have your attention split. You get that feeling that you're busy all the time, but then when you look at your goals and what you want to achieve, you feel like you haven't moved the needle. This isn't your fault. It's not my fault. This is because of constantly managing distractions. Do you ever wonder what those distractions could be costing you? Though? Do you ever wonder what that highly focused version of you could actually get done? Maybe you deal with your overflowing inbox, make progress on that writing project, finish the code for your next big feature, or maybe just be more efficient at your work and get some time back for yourself in the evening. This is where Flow State Sessions come in, the online co-working program to give you accountability for your tasks so you can become that distraction-free version of yourself. They host calls based on something called the body doubling principle. This is the idea that you're way more likely to be productive if you're in the virtual presence of other people. The Flow State Sessions program includes three months of high-focus sessions, calls that turn down the dial of distraction to let you get your best work done. There are three Flow State Sessions every week to suit different time zones. You just join the call of a task in mind and share your goal for the session with everybody else. Then you mute your mic and get your work done. Then when time's up, everybody does a check-in so you can all be held accountable for the work that you said you'd do. You get access to a progress tracker so you can track the sessions that you attend, the goals you hit, and get a bunch of really cool graphs that show your productivity stats over time. Who doesn't love a good graph? Plus, you'll get access to the Flow State Session Slack with other like-minded people who are all striving to work more effectively. You can use these sessions for whatever you like, whether it's your daily works and professional development. They could even be your very own personal writing retreat or vacation. You probably heard me mention Carrie on the show a bunch before. She is Relay FM's chief advertising officer and marketing strategist at Cortex Brand. Well, Carrie is also the founder and host of Flow State Sessions. Someone so busy, you know that they must be productive. Carrie is one of the most productive and efficient people that I've ever had the pleasure of working with, which, which is why I always want to keep working with her with everything that I do. If there's anybody that knows how to get things done, it's Carrie. The Flow State Sessions program is opening its doors for the final time this year. So if you've been thinking that someday you'd like to make progress towards your goals or be more effective in your daily routine, this is your last chance to make it happen before the year is done. So go to flowstate-creative.com slash cortex where you can apply to join and find out who you could be and what you could achieve without all the distractions. Carrie mentioned to me that they're not sure when they'll be accepting new members again after this. So if you're interested, go and get your application in now. It takes just a few minutes. The link you need one last time is flowstate-creative.com slash cortex to learn more and apply. There's a link in the show notes too that you can click. The first five people to join get a free clarity call with Carrie to create a plan for your three months. Go there now, meet the distraction-free version of yourself and stop feeling guilty for procrastinating on your goals. Our thanks to Flow State Sessions for their support of this show and Relay FM. There's a question in our document here. So we have a running list of these questions that people submit at cortexfeedback.com. This one has been in here for quite a while. I think it just like moves around a bunch. 
And I think today you may have moved it up a little bit. The question is from Ben, who asks, how do you deal with the fear? And this question has always intrigued me, I think, the way that it probably intrigues you too, of like, mm-hmm. what does it even really mean? That's all Ben gave. Yeah, there's no context or anything. No context. And so I guess this is one of those things you've got to take from it what you're putting into it. And my assumption is we probably are coming at this from the same place of like the fear of it all going away. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I found this question kind of intriguing this time. Yeah. I think partly it caught my attention because like I said at the start, I find myself extremely stressed leading into the final months of the year, right? It's like we're in stack September and that is when it gets serious. Yeah. I had someone say to me the other day when I was like talking through like, oh man, I got to do all these things and like it's really high stakes. They said to me like, well, you know, September is the beginning of winter and winter is the end of the year. So the year is almost over. I was like, no, no, don't say that. (laughs) Mm. That doesn't help, right? Compressing the time frame. But now I can't get that out of my head. So I think it sort of caught my attention because that's kind of been on my mind. But it also just like it has lived here as just an intriguing question. Like, how do you deal with the fear? And that can apply to a lot of things. But it already sounds like you're taking this in a very different way than I'm taking this. Yeah, I think I am. I want to know what you're thinking about, and then we can talk about what I'm thinking about. So trying to take this question at its most high level, I think a lot of questions around fear in the modern world are questions around uncertainty about the future. You know, you're not afraid of being eaten by a tiger where it's like, ah, I have a very clear image of what that is. Mm-hmm. I think that's just not the sort of fear or stress that people deal with mostly in modernity. I think people are dealing with stuff that is around uncertainty. Like as a good example, we talked at the end of the year and have still kind of yet to revisit the topic, although we sort of did today, about oh no, AI has burst onto the scene all of a sudden. Like, what does this mean? Yeah, at some point, we should get back to this. And I'm actually, this is the great thing about the Cortex podcast content calendar. I'm just going to put this in there as a thing. That, like, <laughs> at some point, I think we should talk about AI again because it has been a year yeah. and a lot has changed and it's only really made passing phrase. I have found it kind of interesting, actually, how we we haven't discussed it. But yeah, so we should like throw that into the future. But I think like that's a good example of like a thing comes up and there can totally be a what does this mean? (laughs) Right? Like I have no idea. As content creators, there's always like this uncertainty about the things that you make and how they're going to be received. I also feel like this caught my attention because I'm really aware of the video that's going to go up this month, the one that's going to go up in September. Definitely has the feeling to me of this video could really whiff. Like this one could really miss. I think it has like quite a high variance in outcomes. I could see this just not working at all. And that's just very bad. It like makes you feel uncomfortable especially because this is one that's just going to be really complicated like it's taken a long time to do and is a big thing and if it misses it's just very bad if that happens but again like i view that as a kind of fear of uncertainty 
you don't know what is going to happen. And it's like, oh, it's embarrassing if you make something that's like earnest and it just does poorly. And you go, oh, right, that's bad. It's uncertain about like, what does the future of your work look like if a tool comes around all of a sudden that like might impact that in a direct way. And on the very small scale, it's just like, oh, there's a lot of uncertainty about how much of what I need to do can I get done in the next few months. And I think for me, the thing that unites all of this stuff is two things. It's like one, you have to sort of notice in the first place that you're feeling this uncertainty about the future. It can be sometimes trickier to notice that than you think. Again, it can get kind of muddled up in other feelings like I am stressed, but you don't necessarily recognize like, oh, I am uncertain about something like that's the more precise thing that's going on here. And for me, anyway, the biggest thing that always helps with this is just slowing down and writing things down, particularly on physical paper to look at and to try to think about the situation over the years i've discussed doing various different versions of this but this was another thing that i did on my most recent vacation was just i just had a pen and i was writing things down and like tearing out pages and rearranging them and looking at them and thinking about like okay here are the different things that i need to do it is part of the reasons why i've always been a big advocate of actual paper even though like so much of my life is digital and it is that like slowing down it's that deliberateness and so over a couple of days i eventually like made a little document that i was writing that i just called like the plan and sort of outlined the critical things over the next couple of months and made notes on again trying to reduce uncertainty of if you're running behind, which of these things is the first thing to go? What is the point at which you need to make a decision about if this is going to happen or if that is going to happen? And that kind of thing to me is the best tool in the modern world for kind of getting rid of the fear is do your best to reduce uncertainty and practically, that often means use a slow tool like writing on paper to deliberately think through the details of whatever it is you're dealing with. Because mm -hmm. facing the details is much better than having this just vague thing in the back of your mind that you are not dealing with. How do you deal with the fear, Mike? Typically, I'm fine. Like, typically, I don't have it. You're fearless? Is that what you're saying? No, I mean, it, what I'm thinking about with the fear is like the fear that this is all going to go away, right? And by this, you mean what? My entire career. Like, right. I'm going to lose it all or I'm going to lose enough of it that I can't do it anymore, you know? Like, lose enough of the way that I make my living and I need to find a new living, right? Mm -hmm. Because if I can't support my family, I can't keep doing this. I have to get a job. And usually it's fine because I kind of like use the past as a way to inform the future in this regard of like, 
whatever comes up, whatever hassle I may have, whatever worry I may have, stress, concern, I look at my past and I'm like, well, I made it through all of these things over the last 10 years. I'm sure I will be able to continue doing that. And like, that's what gets me through most of the time. Mm -hmm. And I believe in myself as a, you know, the ability to be able to adapt and change. And we've done enough of that over time. But this is an interesting time to ask me this question because I am feeling the fear at the moment more than I have in a while. And I think it's because of stacked September. Mm -hmm. So I, I was thinking about this a little bit and I kind of imagine we're going metaphorical here, right? So imagine we've got like a jar, right? And at the very top of this jar is fear mm -hmm. and I need enough of a water level to rise to the very top of this jar to hit the fear. And that water level is just stress. So like stress is the liquid and the more stress that I have, the closer I am to hitting that point where I'm now just going to start treating everything like it's the end, like and I'm catastrophizing, right? Mm -hmm. The more stressed I am, the more likely I am to catastrophize. This is something that I'm living in right now a little bit more than normal where any bad thing that happens is kind of like, well, that's, well, that's it then. Mm -hmm. And this is because I am more than usual at a kind of wit's end kind of feeling, you know, like I've been talking about this over the last few weeks, right? Like we've just got enough going on all at the same time in all of my various endeavors that all feel really important. And so that puts a pressure on me where I'm like, this is all hard, but what if it all went away? I don't really know why this is happening. Like there are certain pressures that I always have and like they're usually fine. But I think I've just got a few things just hitting at the same time. And that mixture of stuff is now making me like worried that the whole thing's going to gonna crumble to pieces so this is just like a really interesting time to ask me this question because i think i have this stress on me right now more than i not even normally do like more than i can remember in a while maybe like the last time i maybe felt like this was like april 2020 mm. right like that was maybe yeah. the last time i felt like oh at any minute this this whole thing could come crumbling down the complicated thing is it was really easy to point to what it was then and be like, well, obviously, right? <laughs> Everyone felt, felt like that. But I, it's, it's harder for me to... Yeah. Exactly. It's harder for me to do that right now. It's just like, what? Because I've got like a bunch of stuff going on for some reason. I'm now like just assuming that the whole thing's going to fall down. I mean, yeah, I guess welcome to my brain. Like I, I don't really have much of a an answer for it. One of the things that I've been doing recently uh, at the request of my therapist is gratitude journaling. So I've added that into my theme system journal. So the big box in the middle where I usually write down what I'm thinking is now gratitude. So I'm doing that. And I, and I know that you do it and I know that it helps you. So I'm adding that in. It's just like, a, I don't know, like I think it's more of a, a pressure release valve of like, all right, you're stressed. You've got a bunch of stuff going on, but what's the good stuff? What are you happy about? Mm -hmm. And that is nice. Like I do enjoy that as an activity every day. But I, I know that I will feel better once this year draws more towards a close. Before we go today, I want to let the Cortexans know 
that on Saturday, September 22nd, from 12 p.m. to 12 a.m. U.S. Eastern Time, yes, 12 hours, at <laughs> twitch.tv slash RelayFM, you will be able to tune in to watch the podcast-a-thon for St. Jude. We're going to be at the St. Jude campus, and we're going to be streaming for 12 hours this year with a variety of games, challenges, and activities. The theme for the podcast-a-thon this year is Mike versus Steven, so the co-founders are going at it, and we're going to crown a champion at the end of it. I love your Mike versus Steven art, by the way. It's yes. so charming. <laughs> That's the desk mat art that for people that sign up to fundraise themselves, they can earn uh, a desk mat that we've made. And this artwork is going to be making its way into lots of things in the podcast-a-thon. We have our first in-studio guests. We have uh, Jason and Kathy, who are both hosts at Relay FM, are going to be like our adjudicators and are going to be helping score some games and getting involved in some of the games that me and Stephen will be competing against of each other. From a production standpoint, this is going to be the biggest and best podcast-a-thon like we have a set designer this year we have three sets in the oh studio i cannot um, believe how this grows every year i'm very excited about it to be honest i cannot wait i love doing the podcast-a-thon it is a great day i'm full of nervous anticipation for 12 hours like i think it will be fine but we'll find out yeah because we've done like 10 and it was it doesn't really feel any different to eight but I don't know. We're also being more physical than we would normally be. So okay. I don't know how that's going to change things. Maybe I'll get to hour six and we'll need a little nap. I don't know. We'll find yeah. out. That's going to make it harder. Yes, that's. there's not a mystery. If uh-huh. it's going to be more physical, oh, yeah. it's going to be harder, Mike. It's going to be great. I can't wait. And I expect by <laughs> hour 10, me and Stephen will just be out of our minds, which I think will also be a fun thing of its own. So that is Saturday, September 22nd from 12 to 12 US Eastern Time at twitch.tv slash RelayFM. I'm pretty sure that no matter what time zone you're in, you'll be at least able to catch <laughs> yeah. some of it this time. <laughs> so come and check us out. We're going to have a great time, and I hope you'll be able to join us. You can learn more about the podcast-a-thon and our fundraising efforts this month and St. Jude, and make a donation by going to stjude.org slash relay. Good luck on the day, Mike. Thank you. <laughs>